Ryan, thanks for that uh, introduction. I was planning on having to do that myself, but didn't have to. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm the intern with RUF here, and before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Uh, just thank you for being a church that loves our RUF staff well and that loves our students well. I just can't thank you enough for being a place where um, I can come each week and just worship the Lord uh, with you and enjoy fellowship um, and community with you guys. It's been a huge blessing for me. One of, I think as I like look back on my time here, one of the, my greatest blessings uh, that I think God has given me since I've been here is just to have a church and a place where I can call home and come and worship um, and just be loved well, to be known um, and pastored well. So uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so this morning we're going to look at Matthew's account of the transfiguration and what it, what it looks like, what it means for us to behold the glory of Jesus. And as, as we get started um, and as we go, I want us to, uh, to think about this thought, um, and that's that it brings us hope and it brings us joy to look upon the glory of Jesus. Um, I, haven't, I haven't preached much. You could probably say this is my first time doing this, so um, we will, we'll get through this together, so bear with me. Kind of like that song, we're all in this together, right? So, um, but yeah. If you'll uh, turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. Um, and just keeping, keeping that thought in mind that it, that it brings us hope and it brings us joy um, to look upon the glory of Jesus. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving last week um, and a good, a good time where you spent with family and could sit back and just think about all the blessings um, and the things that we have in Jesus. Um, for those, for many of you, it could have been a really restful time, really relaxing. For those of you, you might have been really busy with travel or maybe had the responsibility of hosting, you know, families or uh, having to cook all the food. Um, so whatever, whatever you bring this morning, um, whether it's a weary and tired soul um, or that or it's one um, boasting of thanksgiving, I just pray um, that we would bring our hearts to this passage in this text this morning. Read with me, uh, Matthew 17, 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you um, just for a week where we can be thankful. Um, we just thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word, um, to study the word, to look at Jesus and all of his glory um, this morning. I pray, 
God, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, uh, that we would be able to, to see him. God, we would see Jesus this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts collectively would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Um, so Peter, James, and John, in this passage, they really, you know, as uh, Doug was saying earlier, they get, a, they get a unique experience. They get a unique look at the glory of Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus for a time. They've seen Jesus... Um, perform miracles, they've, they've listened to him teach, they've sat with him during late nights, um, they've been invited to go on this journey with him, they've been a part of his ministry for a time, but now, but now Jesus gives the inner three, Peter, James, and John, a close look at his glory. Um, I was reading uh, Calvin's commentary on this, and you know, he was saying that like, Jesus, Jesus is revealed in his glory on this mountain, but, it, but it's veiled, it's still veiled from them, because they're, they're not able in their flesh to look upon the fullness of the glory of Jesus and live, right? Um, and even when, when God's presence falls on this place and God declares over them, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, what happens? They fall on their faces in terror. Um, similar to the account, right, that, um, we, uh, that we read earlier in the call to worship that when Isaiah is ushered into the throne room of God, he's just overwhelmed and undone by what the glory of God and also the weight of his humanity. Um, so, the disciples get to go up on this mountain with Jesus, and they, they walk up this hill, and on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them, and also standing with them, uh, standing with Jesus is Moses and Elijah, and Jesus begins to talk with them, and this is really unique because Moses, you know, on the one hand, Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, right? We had, like, Moses was given the law of God, Moses went up the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, right, and God uh, talked with him, and he revealed and gave him the law to give to his people. And God also let his glory pass by Moses at one point, right? And Moses was, but had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock, right? That he said, like, Moses was like, God, I want to see your glory. I want to I see you, right? Uh, me, and, me and Ryan were talking about this last week, and it's like, it's pretty amazing that both Moses and Elijah, who are here, both have unique encounters with God, and both get to in some, in some sense, witness the glory of God, but, but they're veiled from it, right? The glory of God passes by Moses. Moses um, is hidden in the rock and only is able to see the back of God go by because he can't look on the face of God, right? Um, but they're both here. And Moses and Elijah, um, commentaries say that they, they represent the law and the prophets. Uh, Moses was the one through whom the law is given. And, you know, as I, as I was reading this passage and I was thinking about John, you know, the other three, the other two, well, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all account the transfiguration. Now I'll talk about it. But John doesn't. But what John does say uh, in John chapter 1, if y'all will uh, flip over there with me, I think John, John talks about in this text um, about things that I think he's, he's really pulling ideas and concepts from what he witnesses and sees on this mountain. What does he say? Uh, beginning in verse 14. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
Um, I, think, I think John's really like getting on to something here, right? He's, he's seen the glory of Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, Jesus is revealing who God is to us. And I want us to, as we look at the glory of God, I want us to behold his glory um, under three headings. Firstly, that we behold Jesus' glory in this passage in his divinity, uh, that he is God. Secondly, that we behold his glory in his humanity, that God becomes man and takes on flesh. And then thirdly, that this God-man lays aside his glory to bring us to glory with him. So firstly, we behold his glory in his divinity. When Moses and, I mean, when uh, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up the mountain and um, Jesus is transfigured before him and shown in his glory, the presence of God comes down. And what, is, what does God say? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples, have y'all ever seen the show Wipeout? You know what I'm talking about? You know, they have like, <laughs> there's a, it's kind of like a game show thing of these contestants and they run across all these like really hard obstacles and eventually they get to, you know, some major obstacle and they fall face first into something and there's commentators that make it much more glamorous than that, but they, they in a sense wipe out, you know, and fall into the water. Um, this is, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but like in this sense, this is kind of the biblical version of that. When the glory of God falls on people, they're just undone, Right? Um, and Peter, James, and John are put on their faces. Why? Why, why when God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, do they fall on their faces and are undone? Because Jesus, because God is saying, this, this is my son. This is God in flesh. I am pleased with him. This is the one who is pure. This is the one who is lovely. This is the one in whom no unrighteousness dwells, in whom no guilt is found, in whom no deceit is found. This is the one who can ascend the hill of the Lord and find pleasure in my sight. There's no one else, right? Isaiah, one of the prophets, goes before the throne room of God, and he's just completely undone. The disciples are completely undone in in this presence. But Jesus stands as the glory of God falls on this place, and he's he's the one left standing, right? And he, he is God. And the thing, you know, the thing too is that, that with uh, Moses and Elijah being there is that Jesus has come to fulfill all things. He has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? And um, as, as, you know, as God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And as, as John draws on this later and says that, you know, the word of God was in the beginning with God, like, what God is saying is like, this is, this is the word from the beginning. This is my final and fullest revelation. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews really picks up on this well. I think when he says that in the previous times that God has spoken to us through the prophets and men moved and carried along by the Spirit, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. That God wasn't pleased only to just give us the law. He wasn't pleased only to, to um, point us to the truth, to tell us the truth, or for us to witness him in the cloud. No, God wanted to come and be with us. He wanted to bring his glory near, and he wanted to reveal himself to us, and he wanted us to show us the fullness. And so um, one of the things that uh, J.C. Riley says is that Moses and Elijah were witnesses, right? They witnessed to the truth. They bore witness to the truth. John the Baptist, um, being the Elijah to come, bore witness to Jesus. But Jesus is the truth. Right? You like the, the difference there? Like men bearing witness 
to the truth, but Jesus is the truth. There's no deceit in him. There's no lying. There is no, there, like, nothing. Jesus is the truth. And he has come, and he makes the glory of God known to us. Jesus walks among us. Jesus heals our, our diseases. Jesus shows us the character of God, the glory of God. Um, I was driving, uh, I was driving back, and was kind of thinking about the sermon, and I, I finally turned on the radio, and uh, they're about to play, it was a pop station or a country station or something, but they're about to play some Christmas music, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, after Thanksgiving, getting the Christmas spirit here, and uh, it was uh, Hark the Herald Angel Sing was the song that came on, and I guess I never really, maybe I hadn't meditated or thought on that song for a while, but, but how does that second verse go? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, right? And I was just like, man, that is, that is so beautiful. Um, that Jesus, Jesus is God, he's come and he's in flesh, but he is revealing the character of God. The law, you know, that was given through Moses, the law pointed to the holiness and the glory of God. It pointed to the standard, with, like the holiness without which one will not see God or will not come into his presence. And Jesus says earlier in Matthew chapter 5 that, he says what? I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right? I've come to fulfill it. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus comes and is born under the law, and yet fulfills the law perfectly. So we see the glory of Jesus and that he is divine, that he is God. But it's also, you know, but it's a twofold thing. Jesus is human. Jesus takes on flesh. And Jesus has spent this time with the disciples, and he has, he has walked with them. And he has talked with them. He has done miracles in their presence, showing his divinity, showing that he is Lord of creation, that he is the one of the beginning. But he's also flesh. He's also one of us. Because in order for Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets, and in order for Jesus um, to accomplish this mission that he came for, Jesus had to be one of us, right? In the, in the Garden of Eden, you remember that Adam and Eve uh, they used to walk with God in the cool of the day, right, when they were perfect, when they were in his presence. And, but then they sin, right, and they begin, they hide themselves from God. They, they try to make coverings for themselves, and none of, none of which will do. And God, what does God do? God comes, and he looks for them, and he finds them. And though, though their sin has grievous consequences, though it mars the image of God and man, and though it gets them cast away from the presence of God, separated from him, and cast out of the garden, they don't, they're not cast away until God makes this promise. What does he say? He says that I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of the serpent and that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God doesn't say, you know, you know, Adam, you messed it up, but, but I'll tell, tell you what. I'm going to send a good set of rules for you to follow to get to me, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort all this out later. No, God, God knows our sin, and he knows the weight at which we fell too great, right? God, God doesn't say, hey, you know, like, Adam, you, you messed up, but, but I, I've got this, this wonderful plan, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it to you, and if, if you can search it out and, and work it out, um, then you can get back to me. No, God says, I'm going to send a son. I'm going to send someone who is righteous, and, and this time, he's going to be your representative, as Adam was for us in the past, right, who fell and through him we've all sinned. But God says, this time, my fullness is going to dwell in him. He is going to be your representative 
but he's not going to fail. He's going to be born under the law, and he's going to fulfill it perfectly because he is the word of God made flesh. He is not, not going to stumble. He is not going to sin, but he is going to come, and he's going to dwell among you. Y'all, it gives me so much hope to know that my, my salvation and my hope of glory in Christ doesn't, doesn't rest on an idea. It doesn't rest on a thought. It doesn't rest on how well I can keep a certain list of rules. It rests in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? Your salvation is secured because Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne right now. And he is there. And he has achieved salvation for you. He has come and he was as one born under the law. And he fulfilled it perfectly. Um, I think, you know, carrying on with this, this idea, um, with the Hark the Herald Angels saying, what is, how does the rest of that verse go? Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Well, how do we, how do we see that in this passage? Um, I think as we look, uh, look with me at verses uh, 6, 6 through 8, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I'm sure Peter, James, and John felt the weight of their humanity and their sin like they never had before in that moment. You know, if you look just in the last chapter, you know, Peter, Peter tries to um, rebuke uh, Jesus for saying that he's going to go to the cross and suffer. And Je- what, what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Right? And I'm sure in this moment, like, Peter's like, man, I've been standing in the presence of, of God, and I've just, duh, I've just goofed, you know? Like, I am, I am a sinful man. And if we think back to Isaiah, Isaiah is brought before the throne room of God, and he says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And he is undone, and he is, like, face down, overwhelmed by his humanity and his sin and his fallenness. Um, and what, what does God do? What does God do? God sends the seraphim down with a coal, and he touches the lips of Isaiah, and he says, your guilt is removed. How? How can, how can he say that? Well, what does Jesus do? The disciples are overwhelmed. They're undone. They're on their faces, terrified, because they're in the presence of the beloved Son of God. And what does Jesus do? He moves towards them, and he touches them. And he says, and speaks words of life to them. He says, rise and have no fear. Christian, we have, we have a Savior that doesn't run away from our brokenness. We have a Savior that runs into it, right? He took on flesh. He came and he dwelt among us. And he touches us. Y'all, like, the other day, <laughs> um, I was trying to, I get, you know, I got up and I was trying to go get some work done and, uh, this this uh, this thing plagued me. I couldn't find my keys. And if yeah, I live with the Reeves. Um, and if you ask Terry, she'd say this is a problem. And to kind of set the stage, a couple of days before, I pulled up here to staff meeting, and um, I locked both sets of my keys in my truck. And I was like, man, this is the second time this semester I've done that. I had to call the you know Cooper locksmith or whatever and pay the forty dollars to get it out. And so I'm gonna go in debt over locking my keys in my truck. You know, um, no, nah, really. But. Um, and, but, you know, at this time, I can't find my keys, and I'm looking around the house, and I'm just getting frustrated. You know how it goes, right? 
and I'm kind of angry, and I start getting angry with God, you know, like it's his fault that I can't find my keys or something. And I finally shake them, you know, I, I finally find it, look in a backpack, and they're in the bottom of my backpack. And, you know, a backpack that I'd already shaken before and somehow didn't hear that they were in there. And I get them out, and I get in the truck, and I drive to the coffee shop to get out and, and get some work done. And, and I, I just kind of sit there, and I'm just kind of frustrated. You know, I'm just like, man, I wanted to get work done, and I can't find my keys, and I'm irritated. A couple days before, I lock them both in my truck. And then I start, and I start thinking about all this stuff, right? I start thinking about the sin I'm struggling with. I start thinking about, um, you know, just who I am and, like, and my brokenness and that I'm a sinner. And I'm just like, ugh. You know, and I get, I'm getting frustrated with God because I can't find my keys. You know, like, what a misplaced concept that is, right? And, and in that moment, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, this passage, and in that, you know what truth confronted me? Was that Jesus didn't look on my brokenness and go, oh, man, I can't, I can't deal with that right now. You know, or like, uh, here he goes again. It's Chris, you know, Chris being Chris. Jesus was right there. He was sitting with me. And he was touching me, and he was saying, dude, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you, right? His grace and his presence are with us. Like, and and, and what, you know, the question I want to ask you all is, what are, what are the areas of brokenness? What is the darkness in your heart that you just think Jesus can't reach to, right? What is the darkness in this world? What are the places where you're watching the news or whatever that we look at and we're like, God can't be there. God can't be in that. What are, the, what are the sins in your past? What are the griefs in the past? Or maybe the ways you've been sinned against in the past that you just think, God has forsaken me. God can't go to that place. It's too dark. This sin in my heart is too great for God to reach down. I think the beauty of this passage and the, the truth and that, the grace, that grace and truth come in Jesus Christ is this. That Jesus wants to touch and heal that brokenness. That in fact, in that moment, when you were experiencing that, when you were going through that sin, when you were at that place of loneliness or at that place of despair, when you thought, man, I never thought I would be here. Jesus was right there with you. He was right there with you. Believer in Jesus, that is the hope that we have. That is the, the grace that we have in Christ, the truth that we have in Christ, that we have a Savior that doesn't run away from our brokenness. We have a Savior that runs into it. Actually, he takes on flesh. He puts on flesh, and he comes to be with us. What's even more glorious, and I think as we look at the fact that, you know, Isaiah's guilt is removed from him, that the, the disciples look up and they see Jesus. Y'all, Jesus is the final authority. Jesus gets the final say on your life. Jesus has come and he has purchased your part, and Jesus has come and he has he has saved you. He has lived under the law, and as the word of God, he has perfectly fulfilled the law, right? Um, I lost my train of thought on that, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I totally went blank. Anyway, so firstly, firstly, we see that uh, we see Jesus' glory in his divinity, but also in his humanity, but thirdly and finally, we see Jesus is glory in the fact that he lays his glory aside to bring us to glory. Y'all, when, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, God knew that was going to happen. He knew we were going to be separated from him, but he, he wasn't going to let that be the end. He says, he says, Adam, I've got a plan. 
there's going to be, there's one coming. My son is coming. And he is going to redeem this. He is going to make it all new. And the law that was given, Christ fulfills it. The prophecies that were spoken from all time are fulfilled in Jesus as, I had a professor in college that used to say that as the Old Testament was marked by shadow, promise, and prophecy, the New Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ is marked by reality, realization, and fulfillment. Christ has come to fulfill it. And he does so by this. He does so by this. What happens? As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. When Jesus is on this mountain transfigured in his glory, Jesus is shown in impartiality of, of who he was before he came to earth, right? Jesus has walked among the disciples for a, for a period of time, but now Jesus is transfigured. His face is shown like the sun. His clothes are white as, as whiter than anyone could bleach them. But Jesus knew he couldn't stay on this mountain. He knew there was a mission to accomplish. He knew that he had um, a task to fulfill. See, Jesus' mission was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. It was to seek and to save us. Uh, and I find that, like, it's so beautiful is that we have a Savior that, you know, he runs into our brokenness. We also have a Savior that takes it on himself. That sin and that shame that you felt, that, that grief, he has put that on himself. Let's look at, uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. I think Paul says this really beautifully. Starting in verse 6. Who though, talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew he couldn't stay on that mountain. He knew he had to go down with his disciples and prepare himself for an ascension to another hill, a hill called Calvary, where this time Jesus wouldn't go up and be exalted in his pre-incarnate heavenly glory, but this time he would go bearing the sins and the shame of his people. This time, Jesus wouldn't stand on the mountain between Moses and Elijah and talk with them, but he would listen as the crowd insulted him and rebuked him and mocked him and chastised him as he was crucified between two thieves. This time, Jesus wouldn't hear the voice of his father ring out, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, but he would feel the agonizing weight of the loneliest moment of all time as he felt his father turn his face away. And he felt that rejection, and he would cry out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because his mission was to bring us to glory. His mission was to save us. His mission was to come and to seek us out and to purchase that which had been lost. And that was his bride, us, his people. Believer in Jesus, that's our, that's our hope as we, as we look on the glory of Jesus, is that 
Jesus laid his glory aside, right? Uh, think about the same song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Glory to the newborn king. Y'all, I was like, I don't mean, like, this is, that kind of gets me excited, you know? Like, that, that just, like, that moves my heart to rest and to find hope. And the fact that, like, Jesus, Jesus didn't run away from my brokenness. He didn't, for, like, he didn't forsake me. He didn't cast us out and say, you know, I want to start all over again. No, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. And in your life, believer in Jesus, he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew your sins. He knew the time that you were going to forsake him. He knew the time you were going to abandon him. He knew the times that your sins and your depravity was going to put him on the cross. He knew when you were going to utter words that would forsake him. He knew when you were going to turn your back on him. He knew when you were going to commit that sin time and time and time and time and time and time again. He knew that. And he took all of that upon himself because he loves you. Because he's a savior that lays his glory aside to come that men no more may die. He left his glory to bring us to glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We just thank you for who he is. God, we thank you that right now he is ruling and he is reigning on the throne in glory. And one day, he is coming again. And he is going to bring us to himself. And we're going to be in your presence forever and we're going to look upon you with unveiled face. And we're going to feel the love and the acceptance that we've longed for. We're going to be known and we're going to be cherished. God, would that truth bring life to our hearts even this morning? God, will we enjoy this truth? Will we enjoy this glory? We thank you for it. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.